You're listening to WKXL in the Morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire government news with the friends of the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get their articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKXL in the Morning every Friday, and this week I'm joined by reporter Ethan DeWitt. Welcome back. Glad to be here. So let's jump straight into one topic before we just go into education for the rest of the uh, the episode, because that's what we've been writing about all week. But it looks like there's a planned return to Representatives Hall, and it's been a, a bit mixed in response. Sure. So, yeah, this is an announcement that was made last week, last Wednesday. It was uh, the first kind of the governor had a press conference and said, was asked about what, what he thought about the House of Representatives returning to Representatives Hall, and he said that he would uh, be all in favor of it. A few hours later, the House Speaker said that at the next House session, which is for March 10th, that the body would move back to that building. Um, That's significant because they have not been in there for about two years. In fact, it'll be almost exactly two years uh, when they reconvene on March 10th. Um, from when they left. And just to put that back into the context that we all remember, but maybe wish we didn't, um, March, mid-March was about when uh, in states of emergencies were being declared uh, across the country. Um, the state of New Hampshire was seeing its first COVID cases. Uh, we'd seen cases in other areas of the country. And the House met for uh, an all-nighter, actually, on, I think it was March 12th to 13th they went 19 hours until four in the morning all because of a deadline issue and there was all this partisan squabbling and uh and and uh, you know and it ended at four in the morning and they didn't return uh again for two years so this is a big deal um in the last two years they've been trying a bunch of different venues the reason why they left the representatives hall is because if you if you've never seen it before it is a very close-knit hall. New Hampshire has the, you know, the third largest legislature in the English-speaking world. And with 400 reps, it, um, to fit them all into one space, you basically have to treat it like a high school auditorium. So, it's a very old-school space. Yeah, there aren't desks like you see in other legislatures. There aren't um, you know, spaces. There are, it's just uh, seat after seat after seat after seat. So uh, the thinking during COVID was obviously to avoid that, to, to try to get as, as much uh, as, you, as you could, as much social distancing as you could. And they tried a bunch of different things. And now the argument from the speaker's office is that it is safe enough to return. But is it course, basically along party lines with how it's split right now with uh, moving forward? Um, that's a good question. I don't know, there, you know, the, because of the New Hampshire House and the nature of it, there are it's often a little bit fluid between parties around the edges. It's not always as strict. So I haven't talked to all Democrats or all Republicans about this. Uh, there are Republicans who are not showing up to sessions because they're worried about their health, and there's Democrats who are doing the same. And there's Democrats who are showing up and Republicans who are showing up. Um, but what I will say is that Democrats are, are largely opposed to this move back. They say that even though... The CDC has relaxed its uh, mask recommendations for certain counties without high spread. There are still some New Hampshire counties that do have high spread. And they say that uh, we still, even though Omicron is uh, receding, uh, we still need a few more weeks, uh, potentially a few more months before we move back into Representatives Hall. And they are still pointing out uh, immunocompromised members who haven't been able to attend even the spaced out distanced 
sessions that have been held in alternative venues and certainly won't be able to participate in this. So there is opposition from Democrats and Republicans are saying, well, we have lower cases. Uh, this room is well ventilated. Uh, they are installing these little HEPA machines um, all around the room that help filter the air, but they also uh, fortuitously, but before COVID, we're installing a new air conditioning system and ventilation. Oh, perfect timing. Yeah, and that was actually in the works before the virus, but they were able to finish it and, and upgrade the filters once the virus arrived. And so that those that filtration system now can cycle out the entire air in the chamber, which is about two stories tall, every twenty minutes. Uh, and oh, so, wow. and that's actually the industry standard is to do it for every hour. Um, and so it's three times the industry standard. So Republicans are saying that this is sufficient. Democrats are saying, well, there isn't a mask requirement. And also not all members are vaccinated uh, and you know some re refuse to get vaccinated. And so there are still health concerns. So I, I think it's a pretty party line uh, disagreement. It's very messy because I mean, ultimately, the when it comes to uh, municipal governments around the state, they're going to be looking to what the House of Representatives is doing, and it'll end up being a, a political uh, a chess piece when it comes down to when November comes around and everything. And if they go too quick and things go horribly wrong, it's a bit of risk management for those that are politically minded. And there are a lot of older people that are for sure uh, in the House and the, that they are more at risk of the situation. They're not talking about really continuing any remote options, correct, if they go in back to the Representatives Hall? Well, that's uh, no. Um, so there haven't been remote options, to be clear, since this began. Uh, and by remote options, I mean remote participation. There have mm -hmm. the public has been able to view uh, the votes and uh, kind of watch the proceedings, but actual members have not been allowed to vote unless they're there in person. Um, part of this is a uh, the argument is a technological argument um, that there's resources. But part of it has been, you know, there have been votes where Democrats have said, okay, let's change the rules to at least allow the possibility of remote voting. Um, and those attempts have been struck down by Republicans who, who say that, uh, you know, if you want to vote, you should be there in person. So there's, there's an ideological uh, difference of opinion there over whether to allow remote voting. So that has not been allowed up till now, and it won't be, you know, so far allowed uh, into the future. One last thing I didn't mention is that Democrats have taken this to court. They are, uh, they, they've gone to um, federal court last year, last February, they went to United States District Court in Concord, um, and they actually uh, did not receive a favorable outcome there. Um, they were trying to, they were suing um, House Speaker Sherman Packard um, directly uh, arguing that his uh, refusal to allow and his party's refusal to allow remote voting was a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, the first circuit, sorry, the first district court here in Concord said uh, that it was not a valid claim against the speaker because he had um, legislative immunity. That's now in the first circuit court of appeals. Um, which actually ruled in favor of the Democrats, but now is being tied up because there's a um, ongoing motions to have an, an end bank uh, hearing, which basically means it'll take longer. So this week, the Democrats actually have asked to expedite the first circuit's ruling, which could require remote voting. And they've asked to expedite it because of this March 10th meeting. Um, it seems unlikely that the court would do that given how slow it's been over the last mm. few months. But if it did do that, that could change how this session looks like 
next week. They better be careful with that. I mean, you bring up uh, an ADA, Americans with Disability Act, case that goes the wrong way and it makes it to the U.S. Supreme Court. The, the, the conservative justices may not support it and it could set some new case law. So they better be very careful with how they're framing this case. So that'll be something to follow for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to look into that a little deeper, especially uh, it, once it makes it past this first level. So let's move over to, it uh, looks like there's some um, legislation that's to allow local officials access to schools in a different way that has historically been the case. Sure, yeah. So this is a bill that has been voted out of the House Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee. Um, it was actually voted out yesterday, uh, uh, or Wednesday, I should say, um, House Bill 1072. And this would make it a, an actual crime for a school official to deny a local elected official access. Uh, and access in this case means access to any school facilities, documents, or school events um, while that person holds office. So the, the argument for this bill, um, this bill comes uh, from a number of Republicans who are saying that uh, there have been local officials who have been denied access to school grounds who are trying to look more into finances of the schools um, in, in, you know, for whom they serve on the board of. Uh, and they claim that there are political disagreements that have um, prompted superintendents to bar them from school grounds. Um, so the bill would, would effectively put teeth into a, you know, a requirement to allow them onto school grounds by making a class B misdemeanor, which uh, carries a fine of up to $1,200 uh if you violate it so uh th the thinking is to 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 create sanctions against uh administrators who bar local officials um school representatives and democrats say that this is misguided it, that's first of all not necessary that any sort of situations like this can be resolved and you know that um board members should be able to get the info that they need without this law and but they also say that it's too broad and that it could allow school officials to uh enter for not much cause or reason at all. So um, it's another kind of divide in how the two parties look at schools and kind of school accountability. And it kind of, I think it's going to fall along those party lines as it moves forward. I mean, is there a case where they're saying like there there is this example where the schools denied access or anything like that? I mean, this this seems like once again, uh, the, the Republicans kind of taking advantage of the fact they they hold a vast majority on uh, the legislative side and the executive branch to kind of get through their pet projects while they can. Yeah, there is a case example. I'm, not, I'm hesitant to go into details on it because I mm -hmm. haven't reported that myself. So I don't know the nuances, but there is an example that um, that sponsors of this bill say that, you know, there, there was a local official um, in the Kingston area who was, uh, who was denied access to grounds because of a comment that he had made uh, it was meant as a joke, uh, and it was kind of interpreted by the superintendent as a reason not to let him on. Because, uh, and so I, again, I don't want to go into the into the, the details of that because I don't um, I don't know them myself. But uh, but that is they are pointing to that as an anecdote. And Democrats on the committee have said that's one anecdote, uh, and that we shouldn't be legislating around one anecdote. Um, another element to this is special education funding. So the sponsors, Republican sponsors, are saying that they are they want to look closer at how schools 
um, fund uh, services for special education students, which they are legally obligated to do, and which for many school districts costs hundreds of thousands of dollars per student. Um, and so conservatives say that we need to look more at these finances and, and, and see if what they're actually going towards, what services they're going towards, what counselors they're going towards. Um, the issue is that there are privacy laws and, you know, for good reason, they're, they're there to protect students' records and students' um, uh, health statuses and, and health records. Uh, and so there's a lot that's sort of up in the air with this, with this bill, depending on how far it goes over whether it would run into conflict with some of those. Um, one of them is, is called FERPA. Um, and so, again, this bill is sort of in its early days. We'll see where it goes. Um, but that's something certainly that some of the conservatives have said they want to focus more on. And uh, school officials and Democrats are pushing back and saying that this would, could create a real legal problem. Yeah, from the Republican perspective, there's a lot of um, accountability legislation that they're trying to get through when it comes to the education sector, which... Um, is really tough to craft if you want to do it correctly so it doesn't just either get struck down immediately like the voter legislation where they're trying to get the college students not to vote a couple of years ago which mm -hmm. i talked about last week with amanda and um but still be able to get through like the like the divisive concepts legislation was seemed to at least on the face of it what it was covering i don't think too many people disagree with necessarily the enforcement is the thing where they're really not happy with how it's done and it seems like now they they're just keep pushing their luck and if they go too far it's going to hurt them at this next cycle i mean already there's so much pr out there when it comes to um you're just you're just attacking the teachers too much because all the teachers unions are against them which um I, i'd imagine is definitely the case with this i don't know if they've spoken up yet on it yeah, the teachers unions have spoken up and they've said their concern with it is that it's too vague. Um, what is counted as access is too vague. So, for instance, it, I mentioned the word documents. It would, uh, you know, it would it would prevent officials, local elected officials being denied access to, quote, any school facilities, documents or school events. And some have said, you know, documents isn't uh, specific enough at all that 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 could be. Uh, you know, items that might fall under HIPAA or FERPA. Uh, and so, you know, there needs to be much more clarity if this is going to go forward. So, um, yeah, certainly this falls into the, the a lot of the same lines that we've seen before. Um, but uh, again, yeah, where all this goes and how this session ends is uh, kind of an open question because some of these, um, you know, education, both school choice and also school accountability bills that Republicans have been putting forward. Some of them have been more successful than others, so we'll see. So I want to be sure to jump over to, it looks like there's a Republicans moving for budget caps for school districts. What's that about? Yeah, so this is an interesting bill uh, that would essentially allow towns to opt into a budget cap for their school district along the lines of what some cities have. Some cities have a municipal tax cap. This would essentially apply that to, uh, you know, the biggest thing that's driving uh, local taxes. Um, the way it would work is that you would need to have a 60%, so essentially a supermajority vote in favor of installing this cap. And you would, as a town, or as a district, I should say, um, the voters in the district would set a per pupil amount per year. 
uh, and that per pupil amount would be the cap. Uh, so if it would depend on how many students were in the district, but it would be that amount times the number of students, and that number would rise with inflation. Um, and once you installed this cap, the school board would then be bound by it and would then not be able to uh, suggest a budget that went above that. Um, and so if there were unexpected expenses, they would have to balance it and cut to, to stay within the budget cap. The idea being that taxes would not, local property taxes would not rise. Um, so this is, uh, again, I, I don't know where, where this is going, but this would fall under the, the list of education bills that we're seeing this year from Republicans that have, um, you know, Democrats uh, strongly opposed and, and public school advocates strongly opposed, but conservatives um, strongly in favor of. Uh, and, you know, Democrats and, 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 and school representatives say that this would create in a lot of towns an arbitrary cap that would not, because of the way it's set up, would not be flexible enough to take into account contingencies, for instance, special education students, which uh, are, you know, the services for special education students are expensive, but they're kind of unpredictable. You, you don't know any particular year where there might be a, a student who needs services. And because those services run hundreds of thousands of dollars per student per year, that that could be a real threat to a, a small school budget if they had to work within a cap. So that is sort of the argument against it. The argument for it is that this is an enabling bill that towns have to opt into it. You know, it's not gonna be the standard and you'd have to get a 60% vote. So there'd have to be pretty strong support for it in your town to do it. Yeah. Um, and so it's, 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 it's just gonna be an interesting thing. One bill that worked like this was earlier this year um, to create a local education freedom account bill. Mm -hmm. And that would essentially, and I think we talked about it at one point, um, that would essentially have taken the state model that's in effect now to create these voucher-like EFAs um, using state money and apply it to local dollars. That bill also worked this way with a, you need a 60% vote in the school districts in order to install it. And so this seems to be the model moving forward for some of these bills that we're gonna install, create this, this very new system um, that is also very controversial, but we're going to do it in a way that needs a supermajority vote. Um, it, it seems like a, a way for Republicans to enable towns to do their legislation if these towns want to. It, yeah. it doesn't seem like they're necessarily forcing at the, the, the state level. I don't know whether that's necessarily the, the ethical or proper historical way of doing such things. So it's really interesting to see that there's so many things uh, being approached this way. I mean, um, it, it's... Because uh, it almost, I, I'd imagine, makes it a little political where if you're a Republican in these districts, you're going to say, well, yeah, I want this. Why not? The Republicans push for it to come through. And it may not necessarily be – it may be what's best for that district. I don't know. But it could, on the other hand, not be, and it kind of makes it a political uh, sure. move. Another thing about the, both this – and I should say that that local education uh, – um, that local EFA bill uh, – would it actually got struck down in the house it didn't get totally struck down it got tabled so it mm -hmm. technically could come back but it's unlikely so we'll see how this particular one does but one thing that's also common among both of them is not only does it take a 60 percent threshold vote to install this mm -hmm. but once it is installed it takes a 60 percent um vote ballot vote um in order to override it so if there were a year in which 
there were, uh, you know, extreme expenses or, or, or extreme costs, and the school board uh, said we need to rate to go over the cap this year. Uh, you would have to put that onto a ballot and get 60% approval for that to happen. Otherwise, you'd have to make do with the budget cap. That's how the bill is written that right now. Um, and again, that local EFA, local school voucher bill worked the same way. Once you install these, you need 60%. Um, to un uninstall. So it's in, it's it kind of goes both ways. It's, it's harder to install, but then it's harder to get rid of, which has been another point of criticism. Um, Ethan DeWitt of the New Hampshire Bulletin, thank you so much for joining. We're out of time, unfortunately, but many things to continue to follow. So be sure to check out NewHampshireBulletin.com to follow this legislation as it continues on and as the uh, representatives hall opens back up. It'll uh, definitely be an interesting thing to see what happens with that. You're, I'm AJ Kirsten, and you're listening to WKXL in the morning.